Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. The book of Job, it's enough to send shudders down your spine, right? Just the mention of that book. Those that know the Bible at all know about the amazing book of Job. And the study of Job will really do something special for us. It'll shine the light on the foundation of our faith and expose any cracks we may have there so that we can repair them. And so we see the life of Job and how he responded. And if we're willing to go there with him and and see what he went through and and what he expressed, it will change our lives. This this is a journey that'll change our lives if we allow it. And we will also find consolation and comfort in our own suffering. The book of Job has brought encouragement to thousands, maybe millions of people throughout history. And the, the title of our series is The Question of the Ages, Why? Isn't that the question of the ages? We all have that question as well. In fact, if you'll do me a favor, if you, if you are willing to do this, if you have a why question of God and you want us to kind of talk about it, just take one of the cards in front of you, the guest card, the info card, and you can just write on there your question. Don't sign your name because we'll share it publicly and I'll, I'll select from some of those cards some of the why questions we have. So if it's a why question you have or a why question that's, that a lot of people would have, write that down, drop it in the offering boxes, and maybe we'll be able to go over those, you know, because that's real life where people are living. Your why question may be very different than my why question. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what those questions are. Job is more than a study about when bad things happen to good people and vice versa. It really has to do with our understanding of who God is. I dare say that we don't always know that entirely. Especially when we think we've got it all figured out, something happens to mess with our personal theology. But this is about who God is and how we are to respond to him. And it also has to do with our expectations. You know, sometimes our expectations are unrealistic or they're wrong. And it's just an idea that we have formed in our mind. Now, the Bible says one of the Ten Commandments, do not make a graven image of God. Sometimes we don't make an idol, but we have a mindset that this is how God has to be and this is who God is. But God reveals himself through the word, and he reveals himself through the book of Job. And so last week we talked about why Job. I mean, this guy was incredible. He was the most righteous man on the planet. Now, we know that he most likely lived before Abraham, and so it probably took place kind of Genesis 11-ish in that area. And Job may have been an Edomite, and Veronica sent me an email, a great email this week, with some other nuggets of truth about Job. And so if you have any of those nuggets, send them to me. I love that. I love your feedback and your response. And so she pointed that out, that it is true he may have been an Edomite, which means he was from the lineage of Esau. Now Jacob, that was the lineage of Israel, and, and, but Esau, the Edomites were perennial enemies of Israel. And so it's fascinating that, in a sense, you would consider him a Gentile. It's very possible that he was. 
And again, we know that the prevailing doctrine of the day was retribution theology. And we think that this took place before Abraham and especially before the temple worship because Job is making sacrifices for his children on his own. So we know that the temple sacrificial system had not been instituted yet. Gives us an idea of the ancientness of the book. Probably one of the first books written in the Bible. But Job feared God and shunned evil. He had the perfect family, had great wealth and great power, but he also had great fear. He worried about his kids. Don't we all? And I'm telling you what, I used to think, once my kids are grown, I'm done worrying. That is not the truth. I probably worry more now because I can't control them now. Back then, I could, you know, threaten them with grounding or something like that. But now they're adults. And so now I worry even more. But that's why we trust God. But Job was concerned about his kids. And so every time they'd party, they'd have these big parties, all 10 of them. Then Job would offer sacrifices because he's, he's, he, he says he was afraid one of them may have sinned in, in their hearts. And so Job had a fear. He had, a, he had a, a, a fervent faith, but there was some insecurities in that faith. And we're going to see what that's all about. Again, retribution theology was the philosophy of the day that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. So if, if a bad thing happened to you, how many know a bad thing happened to Job? Real bad. It was believed that Job deserved it, that he had done something bad deserving the loss of his children. And, and we're going to see when we talk about his friends, some friends they turned out to be, but they actually had the audacity to say, Job, you killed your kids because you must have been bad or they wouldn't have died. Can you imagine saying that to somebody who lost their children? But that, they were so stuck in their wrong theology and their, their wrong tradition that they weren't able to get outside of that. And so God had to set them straight. Tonight, we're going to talk about who's in charge here. Who's in control when it comes to our lives, our world events? So let's look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. All that was review. Here we are. We're diving in. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, oh, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Same four qualities. And verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Wow, there's some incredible information in this passage. We're going to learn some things that maybe we didn't know before. And it's revealed just in these short verses. First of all, number one, my first point is Satan has access to God. Isn't that fascinating? That Satan came before God. I would have thought, you know, God would have nuked him right there. But Satan came into the presence of God 
And so we see, letter A, the angels regularly present themselves before the Lord. They check in with God. And in this particular time when the angels are checking in, they had an interloper among them, and God recognized him, of course. Now, we don't know what Satan's purpose was there initially, because we're going to find out that this challenge was actually instituted by God. Satan wasn't the one that brought up Job. God did. So there's something going on here. And Satan is, has come among the other angels. Remember, he's a fallen angel. He was one of the top angels in heaven. Some see him as an archangel like Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer. They were three archangels. And we know that he, he ruled a third of the angels when he, when he sinned against God because it says in Revelation, a third of the stars fell from the sky representing Satan. And so he was an angel. He had a high position until he thought he could go higher than God. I mean, you know, if you tell your boss that uh, I'm going to sometime, you're going to work for me someday. That's probably not a good way to, and that's what basically what Satan tried to do. He tried to exalt himself higher than God. And here God was the creator and Lucifer was a created being. Getting ahead of myself. But we see here that Satan showed up with the other angels. Letter B. Satan's presence before God is not a rare or odd occurrence. And we see this in other scripture. Remember, we always, we interpret scripture with other scripture. We always balance scripture with scripture. Otherwise, people can take one verse out of the Bible, take it out of context, and take it out of its meaning and twist it. And so we see in other places in scripture that Satan appears before God. Here's a big one. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. By the way, Satan means accuser. That's what the Hebrew word means, accuser. And so we saw the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent, when did we hear about the ancient serpent? Adam and Eve, exactly. That in the Garden of Eden. Now it's interesting because it doesn't really identify Satan as Satan, but as the serpent. And so he's the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, all the names there, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Many people believe those angels are now demons, but they may be, demons may be a separate category altogether. I don't have time to go in that tonight. So, here we, hear, we see, okay, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them, where? Before our God, day and night has been hurled down. So Satan's name is the accuser and that's what he does. He accuses you and me. He, stands, he appears before God and says, look at James. Yeah, he sinned again, that guy. He did it again, and he accuses day and night. But we see later on that the blood of the lamb overcomes him and overcomes his accusations. But, but we see that this isn't the only time Satan appeared into God's presence. We see it in the book of Revelation as well. So why do you think God would allow this? 
Why would God let Satan come before him? Any ideas? Long-suffering, okay. What else? Any idea? Why wouldn't, I mean, if, you know, he, he's Satan, he, God can do anything, he can remove him, so why would he allow him in his presence? Okay, it's keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. God can use anything for his purpose, yes. Okay, to test people as well. Now, we're going to find, and this is, this is really fascinating, this interaction between God and Satan. But we're going to find that Satan always has an ulterior motive. And that when Adam and Eve sinned, the authority of the earth was given to Satan. He's the prince in the power of the air. And, and, I, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Hopefully get to it tonight, if not. And so God allows certain things to remain in place for now. Just for now. But there's coming a day where Satan will be crushed. And he will be judged. But God is always does everything in the right time in human history. So number two, we learn that Satan has free reign on the earth. And letter A, God immediately recognized Satan, his identity. Now here's God is all-knowing. That means he knows everything. He's omnipresent. He has all power. And he knows where Satan is has been and what he'd been up to. Why do you think God would say, so Satan, where you been? If God knows everything, why would he say, so Satan, what's up? What you been doing? Test him. Test him. Okay, good. What else? Why would God say, where have you been? Okay, to bring it out. To s accountability. Okay, very good. Very good. God never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to, right? So you're exactly right. I believe what's going on here, God is playing the devil. You know, he's in this cosmic game and the devil doesn't realize he's being played. So when God says, where have you been? God knew. It's the same way when Adam and Eve sinned, remember that? And God says, where are you, Adam? Because Adam hid, because he was naked. And so he hid. And then again, God says, who told you you were naked? God knew the answer. But it's important for us to, to be accountable for the answer. And he's holding Satan accountable. You see, letter B, God in his omnipotence summons Satan, and Satan doesn't even know it. See, God had, we see that God's the initiator of this whole contest. And so Satan's vague response has a sense of sarcasm to it. Oh, yeah, I've been around. Because in reality, Satan knows God knows everything too. And there's a sense of disrespect. I, yeah, I've been here and there. And in other words, none of your business. And so we see this letter C. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, the earth is Satan's dominion. 
This is his kingdom. This fallen world, Adam and Eve gave up the keys to the kingdom and it was Jesus who took them back. But Adam and Eve had given up. Remember, they were called to rule the earth and to tend to the garden. But when they sinned, Satan took the keys. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took Jesus to a, This is during the temptation of Christ, the devil tempting Jesus three different ways. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. These kingdoms belong to the devil. And letter D, Satan and his angels are an occupying force on the earth. And so therefore, letter E, the kingdom of God is a revolutionary army. We are coming to take it back. And that's why Jesus came. He established a new kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, but a divine kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And you, you would be amazed how many times the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is used in the Gospels. Jesus came to set up a kingdom that is right here and right now, but also will come to its fulfillment when he returns. And so Jesus declared war on the devil. And he said, I'm taking them back. I'm taking the keys back. And, and so we live in an era where we have to take it back from the devil. How many of you know that there's areas of our lives that we gave over to the evil one when, when, before we knew the Lord? And we got to take that territory back. I talked about generational curses last, I believe it was last week. We need to say enough is enough. We're not going to let that continue in our life. But this requires spiritual warfare. We, can't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. I'm telling you right now, there is a spiritual war going on in America over abortion. There is an evil, there is a rage. I mean, it is demonic at its core. And it is a war. And it's not just going to be one in the ballot box. It's going to be one on our knees. We cannot lose this fight. I believe if, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it, it'll, it'll be cataclysmic in the spirit. But I also believe it could usher in a final awakening, a, a revival in our day. And so you better gear up because we're fighting a spiritual battle here. And we do that through prayer and intercession and worship and the word. That's how we fight. The sword of the spirit. Study the armor of the Lord. Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. The belt of truth. The truth is what holds everything together. And so Satan has dominion, but we're supposed to take it back. Now, it won't be in fulfillment until Jesus returns and set up his, sets up his earthly kingdom. But right now, it's a heavenly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But we need, to, we need to be aware of Satan and his schemes. He is attacking people because he knows his time is short. And there, are, there is a rage of demonic activity going on in our, in our nation right now. We need to pray. We need to pray for life, for the right to life. You know, they mentioned the millions of children that have been aborted. I mean, it's larger than some nations. And it's just... And yet, if you watch the news, do you see the anger? Do you see the, just the, the spiritual war that is going on? 
So, we're a revolutionary army. And we're here to take land back. We're to take areas of our life back that were given over to Satan. And I, and I really believe that. That there are times where, you know, the enemy lays claim to our life. And we need to say, no, you have no claim there. If your children are astray, Satan's trying to claim them. But you dedicated them to the Lord, so you claim them back. Your grandchildren, your children, if they're not serving the Lord, we're going to stand together and we're going to believe that God is going to bring them back. Love the promises in the, in the Old Testament about bringing the children back. So this is a battle. This is something we have to be spiritually prepared for. Number three, God presents Job to Satan as a challenge. Satan's there. God says, where have you been? Oh, I've been around. And then God says, oh, in your travels, have you come across this guy named Job? God brings up Job. That tells me God's doing this. He's in control from beginning to end. Satan thinks he's in control. And he's, he's going to think it even more. But God has this whole thing figured out. He already knows how it's going to end. Letter A, as I mentioned, it is God who first broaches the subject of Job. And you know, it's, it's letter B, God iterate, reiterates Job's character qualities, and we see that God is pleased. God, God loves Job. He's pleased at this man's life, blameless. And so it's almost as like God is like proud of his, like of his own child, so to speak. And in God's own words, God, his own words said, there's no one on earth like, like Job. Now, Job will lose his family. He will use, lose his health and his wealth. But it is his character that will remain intact. And that's what we'll see him through. This is so important. This is why we've got to develop character, integrity, honesty, all of these Character quality, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. We have to develop those things because that's what will keep you through the fiery trials. Your character. It's what will bring you through it. Your faith, your integrity. And, this, and, and that is true for us. And so Job was tested. His character was tested. Like I said last week, even his wife said, give up your integrity. Give up your character. It's not worth it. But Job held on to the very end. And let her see, though Job's friends would accuse him of sin, God had already declared him blameless. Isn't that interesting? They kept saying, Job, you did something wrong. That's why everything went bad. You did something wrong. But God had already established in heaven that Job was blameless. And so this sets the stage to say if that any man was undeserving of suffering, it was Job. God knew we would struggle with the suffering of life. God knew we would struggle with the why questions of life. He knew it. And so God is creating a scenario so that we would, because how many of you know none of us could hold a candle to Job? I couldn't. So here's the most righteous man on the planet, and yet all these Terrible things happened to him. God knew that we would need to see someone like that. That in the darkest times, 
they would hold on and they would still believe. And we have the advantage of knowing the end of the story. Job got twice as much back what he lost. We're going to talk about Job's children. It's interesting that he didn't double his children. He only got seven more sons and three more daughters, but we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, in six years when we get there. Because <laughs> we're going to take it little by little here. So it's character. That's why it's so important that we develop character, that we teach our children honesty and integrity. Because character is what will see us through the fire. And the fire will even refine our character. Letter D. Though suffering has been promised, do you realize it's been promised? Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. I believe it's 1 Thessalonians that says we've been appointed to suffer. And though suffering has been promised, many times we don't think we are deserving of it. And the reality is, is, is sometimes you're not. You're suffering and you didn't do anything wrong. And, and that's what we're, we're going to have to wrestle with. Because Job, that was his defense. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't deserve this. And that, that was the wrong statement. Because the fact is, you're right, Job. You don't deserve it. But going down that road will not make you feel any better. I don't deserve this. What we have to do is instead press into God and say, Lord, and, and, and we'll get to this, even if you slay me, I will trust you. Jay, Jim. Yes. 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 You're right. He, Jay was saying that many of the trials we go through, God will allow us to go through them. God could have stepped in and stopped this when it, when it got so serious, but God let it finish its course for a purpose. Not just for Job, but for all of us to see. So you may be in a tough situation right now. Maybe there is a broken relationship, a financial problem, a physical trial. You need a miracle. And just because you're going through this doesn't mean you sinned. It doesn't mean you did something wrong. And it's, and it's true. You may not deserve it. But the reality is we, we deserve hell, Right? Because for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so just our salvation alone is enough. If God never gave us another gift, another blessing, the fact that he forgave my sin, no one can do that but God. And so let's look at 1 Peter 4.12 to talk about suffering. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Do you see that? Sometimes our suffering is like, what's the deal? This is weird. I don't understand this. But here's, here's the answer. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ 
so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, I don't, I don't want suffering in my life. We shouldn't be, you know, weird about it and say, oh, yes, God, I love to suffer. Nobody loves to suffer. And we shouldn't live in, and this is what happens. I'll, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I live in fear of suffering. And so while I'm living in fear, I'm suffering that I'm going to suffer someday. And so I suffer the whole time. And so we, we have to understand suffering will come. But we shouldn't live in fear of it. And we should, we should endure because if we endure with it, we should rejoice even because God's glory is going to be revealed in our lives. Yes. Good point. It is always a good step. If you're going through a trial or you're suffering, the first step is, is repentance. It really is. Lord, search my heart. Because sometimes we are suffering because of our own sin. And we're suffering because of our own actions. And so we got to, that's the first step. Lord, do I deserve this? <laughs> Have I done something and I've brought this upon myself? And God disciplines those he loves. So God will discipline us sometimes through suffering. Read Hebrews. It talks about he's a good, good father. Which means, you know, he spanks his children sometimes. Because he, he knows that that discipline will save our lives. Let's read that same passage in the Amplified Bible. Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality as though something strange, unusual, and alien to you and your position were befalling you. But insofar as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings, rejoice. So that when his glory, full of radiance and splendor, is revealed, you may also rejoice with triumph exultantly. Now, if you are suffering, it's okay to ask God to remove it. Jesus did. Jesus said, let this cut pass from me. If it be your, that's the qualifier. If it be your will, Lord, let this cut pass from me. Let this suffering pass from me. The thing about suffering is that if we allow it, if we let it finish its course, it will always increase our character. It will always refine us and draw us closer to the Lord. Now, it can, it can also drive people away. Remember the parable of the sower? The seed that fell on rocky ground had no root. And so when suffering came, it withered and died. And I've seen that many times when people have come to Christ and they're doing good until, the, until there's suffering, until there's hardship. Because sometimes we've, we have the wrong idea that if, if we become a Christian, we'll never have problems again. The reality is you will still have problems, but God can bring you through them and teach you through them and, and we can learn through them. And so there is a challenge here that God is uh, giving to Satan have you seen my servant Job? And I'm gonna, we're going to pause right there because I don't want to rush through the rest of it for next time. And I apologize, I, I do have a meeting that I have to attend. I usually like to hang out a little bit after study, but I do have to run right after this. Let's pray. God, show us who you are. 
And Lord, as we look at our life and the hardships, some have come at our own hand. And Lord, you're so merciful that sometimes you even stop the consequences of that in our life. All we can do is fall on your mercy. Ask for your forgiveness. So search our hearts, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in us. Because that's easy to resolve through repentance. So Lord, I thank you for this man, Job, who really lived, who really went through these horrible things. Lord, I thank you for this man that gives us all hope. Lord, because none of us will ever suffer as, as seriously as he did. And so we can, we can see his faith and how he never sinned. He never accused you of wrongdoing. Lord, I just pray you would help us have that kind of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll pick up next week. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.